Welcome to InsideTheHype.tv podcast, the show that takes you into the world of bees. I'm Dr. Umberto Bon Cristiani. In today's episode, I speak with Dr. Jeff Pettis, former research leader of the USDA Beltsville Lab and current president of Apimondia. Jeff and I worked together for a long time, first when he was my boss at the USDA and later on several projects related to honeybee health. We discussed our time in Thailand, where he introduced me to the subject of today's podcast, Tropile Labs, a mite with the potential to be a bigger problem than Varroa mites, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. I have the pleasure today to have one of my mentors, Dr. Jeff Pettis. How are you, Jeff? Hey, Alberto. Very good. Very good to see you again. Yep. It's good to have you here. Today, we're going to talk about Tropile Labs. I want to pick up your brain and to know what's going on around the world about this, this pest that is not new, but is a, is a big danger that we will arrive here in the United States and other parts of the world that are, might really hurt the beekeeping industry in those places. And, but so Jeff, let me start with this. Okay. I need to fix a mistake I made in the past. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, no, I have to do this, uh, you know, put this in the internet because it's a mistake that I, I like to teach my kids, my students, and I did it myself. It sometimes happens, but it's, it's good when you see it, identify it, and, and correct. Okay. So, uh, and I'm going to do it today. I think the first video of this channel was, and the whole channel came together because of you. I was working with you in Thailand at the time. We, were, we have a, a project with the virus, yep. sac brood virus, and we were working. And you introduced me to Tropile Labs when we were there. Yep. And I got terrified of that thing. <laughs> okay. I, I, remember, I, I remember it was... It was, that we, was had, we did a lot of good work. It was good work, yes, I agree. But that, when I see that little mite so fast, and, and that amount of quantity and, you know, working with beekeeper for so many years, this whole anxiety came to me and I was, I was terrified about the potential of this mite to, to reach the, the U.S. And, and other countries. And, and what I did is to, Jeff, what's going on with this thing? You told me everything. I made a video about it and didn't mention your name. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> and I was, I was by, you know, when you were in the, in the, just desperate, I just forgot. And I want to apologize in public. So, <laughs> and we're okay, going to correct well. this today. Um, okay. I want to do this. You, t you taught me everything I know about Tropila Labs. And this has been going for what? 10 years, you know, I, 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 I heard some people saying that nobody worked with Tropile Labs and all kinds of things and nobody's paying attention, but that's a lie. You were doing this for 10 years, looking, working together with APHIS. Can you give me a little overview about how U.S. and yourself and other people in the area are dealing with Tropile Labs in the, in the past 10 years? Sure. So you're right. Well, first of all, you're right about that it is... Of the things that we don't have in beekeeping in North America or even in Europe, it is the number one pest that we're scared we're scared about. I mean, it just it, it's it really is a big problem. Um, 
And APHIS recognized this some time ago. It was on their list. OIE, which is now WOA, Office of International Epizootics, I'll call it, it's always been listed as a notifiable pest of bee diseases. So if you find it anywhere in the world, you're supposed to notify this World Health Organization. Um, but so there's been some previous work in the 50s and 60s and 70s on controlling it, Wojcicki and a bunch of others. Um, and then APHIS funded some work. Uh, Dennis Van Engelstorp and myself went to Thailand and we developed a sampling technique, which we've used. It's called the bump method. We've used it for um, the national survey that's been going on now for about 10 or 12 years. I will say real quickly, there's new and better sampling methods coming out for troplelab. So that's, that's a positive. But in addition to that, I and others have done work on control of tropolalaps. We've done work on uh, the basic biology, things like that. So there is some stuff known about it. And yes, I know that there's been some, I'll call it fear mongering of late in that people are going, oh, I, you know, I, we've got we've to study this right now because no one's ever done anything. And that's not true. A number of us have been working on it, recognizing the danger. We've been working on it for 20 years or more. So yeah. And that was my first video in this channel, Jeff. So uh, you are part of this whole thing, and now we're reaching thousands and thousands of people uh, every every week yeah. Yeah. because of you, and, and you got me desperate. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, I actually, I remember I, I watched that video, and uh, almost 99% almost of what you say in there is true. No, <laughs> there's, there's a few things that need updating in there, but I mean, you did a really nice job of talking about the problems, talking about this mite as a major issue. And um, so, you know, it was, it was very good. You didn't need to give me credit or anything. I have to. No, that's important. Oh. You know, we need to mention our mentors, the people, you know, that's what science is. This is a graduate, you know, passing information and accumulating information here and there. I, I don't like the way the science is going today. Like, the, we have these heroes. Well, blah, blah, blah. No. It's a it's a community working together in a problem, and we just move forward that way. We all build. We all build on the science of others, and we just keep building. Yes. I mean, occasionally, there's something brand new and thing, but but generally, uh, the work what I did on control, I tested one of the form, slow release formic acid things for tropolabs control, and it had already been shown about two or three other studies. Different ways of applying formic acid had worked, so it wasn't anything new. It was just that some of the products that we were using currently in the U.S. could work against tropolalap. So, wow, you know, mine wasn't earth-shattering, but it was just simply building on others' work. And yet, we all have to acknowledge that. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. Thank you for giving me that opportunity. So now I feel better and can move with my life. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we, 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 we spent some good times together. Bill. Yeah, so we I, need I, to work together yeah. again. Yes, let's, yeah. let's write some grants and see what's going on around the world. I would, that was fun. Yeah. So just let's do a reminder of that then, because I want to do something. Let's see if you approve. I'm going to get embarrassed here because it's going to be the first time that I watch a video of myself from the past. I, I was wondering if we can watch that video together and you can update the things that are that I didn't know at that, at that time. Okay, sure. Is, let, let's see. I'm going to try to add the video here and... And if you see something that you want to say, just say, stop. And yeah. Then I will stop and we talk about it. But okay. let's, let's test to see if we can hear anything. 
dangerous there or the bees are different. The fact is, they have another bloodsucker, much worse than Varroa to be worried about. Its name, Tropilelaps. Please remember this name, Tropilelaps. And the global spread of this little devil, in my opinion, would be the worst thing that could happen to honeybees today. The biology of Tropilelaps is... Jeff, I'm gonna stop right here. Okay. Were, you, were you able to hear that? Yes, I heard it. Yeah, okay, I hear. great. Yeah. So let's, let's stop there. And is that a statement is still true? Do you think this is the worst thing that could happen, the spread of tropilolaps? Because I, I came from two schools now. Apparently, in Thailand, tropilolaps is a big problem. But when we talk with some people in China, they don't feel the same. Do, do you, have you ever heard about that? Um, I worked in China a little bit, but not extensively. Um, and I'm about to, I'll be in Korea next week. So I'm, I'll get the Korean perspective of, of oh, varroa, varroa versus tropilolaps. But certainly in Thailand, the beekeepers were going after tropilolaps and varroa was secondary. So what you said to me was true. And I, again, it may have to do with a lot of, Southern China is tropical, subtropical. Northern China is more temperate. So it could be differences in how it affects northern versus southern bees, let's say. I don't know. I yeah. I well, think your I think your statement is accurate. I just I just I heard that and I was wondering if you have something to add on that because I, in my mind my statement is still correct. I think that's going to be the worst case scenario for beekeepers if tropical lapse spread. I would say that you're correct. Yes. It is. Oh, so there's another let, let me, I know this is a little on the side. But there's always stuff out there that we don't know about in some cases. Like, we never even thought about small hive beetle. And small hive beetle is not a major problem. Yeah. But all of a sudden, it started spreading globally. And it was one of the things that was never on our radar. Hornets are now, Asian hornets are now on our radar. But there could be something out there that a new B, B COVID virus. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, there could be something that we don't completely don't know about. But of the things we know about... I would say you were correct in the tropilelap statement being the number one threat out there. I, okay, I, so let's continue with my embarrassment to watch myself. <laughs> it's very similar to Varroa, and I will not get into the details here. They're not new, they're endemic from South Asia, and beekeepers are dealing with them for hundreds of years. What makes them so dangerous is the fact that they reproduce faster than Varroa. In average, they have the double amount of offspring from a single adult female. So they can cause damage much faster and even overcome varroa population in a co-infection. To identify them from varroa is easy. Jeff, that's still still the same? They they reproduce much faster than uh, varroa. And one of the reasons is they don't need to feed. They, in fact, we don't think they feed it. We don't have any evidence that they feed on adult bees at all. They're only in the brood, so they don't need this extra time that Varroa needs. Varroa has to feed on adult bees to kind of get its um, ovaries going. Tropilelaps can come right out of one cell, go right into the next cell. So yes, they reproduce much faster, um, but they reproduce in the cell just like Varroa. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's accurate. Okay, moving on. Easy. The rule of thumb will be that Varroa is wider than is long and moves very slowly. On the other hand, tropilelaps is longer than wide and moves pretty fast. But you might be asking yourself, 
if they're so powerful, why they're not the biggest problem on beekeeping today? The reason why scientists believe they didn't dominate the world yet is pretty simple. As far as we know, tropilolaps do not feed on adult bees like Varroa, meaning that they need a constant supply of bee brood to feed on to survive. Experiments have shown that they can only survive for around 72 hours without brood. Meaning that in any event where there is a break on the brood cycle, tropilolaps will die. We still, we still in that, nothing had changed <laughs> on that part. So that, um, first of all, yeah, we, we believe that in the hive, they feed exclusively on bee brood. When you put them on adult bees in a cage, the mice just die. They die in three to four days. They just drop off. They can't feed. So that's on adult bees. We and some, I, I've published on it as with some colleagues and so has the group in Switzerland. We took hive products. We took comb, pollen, and honey and some other things and put the mites on that. Could they live on other things in the hive? They lived a little bit longer on just comb itself than on pollen and honey, but they, they basically died in three to four days as well. So they can't, they need brood. So that part is correct. So now the question is, are we really getting brood breaks in these other parts of the world where they seem to be expanding? That's a that's question number one. Maybe because of climate change, maybe because of our beekeeping habits, we're feeding bees more or something, they're keeping a little bit of brood throughout the winter. That's that's one scenario that could be happening. Second scenario is the mites are adapting themselves to cold climates. How can they adapt? They have little coats, they have little little jackets that they put on. No. How could they adapt? Insects and mites, in particular, all they they love to uh, they they can adapt and go into what we call diapause, a way of passing through harsh conditions, either heat or cold. Usually, heat diapause or cold diapause. So, if they develop the ability to diapause, then they can get through the winter. And the third in this whole line of reasoning is that they may be feeding on alternate host, meaning not the bees or the brood themselves. When brood's not available. They could move outside the hive and find something else. Wax moth pupae, mice, anything that's around the beehive that they can feed on. So, and there's there's some real belief that that could be going on. So we've got at least three different ways that they could be surviving the winter. But yes, we always hope that a brood break in northern climates would make troublelaps not an issue for us. And that doesn't seem to be the case. They're moving into northern China, they moved into South Korea. They, they're probably moving into other parts like Kazakhstan and stuff where it's colder. So, yeah, they, we heard, we heard some news. The they seem to be on the move. Yeah. Okay. That's Which good. is scary. It is scary. You know, you're very you look, like swarming when the. Say it again. You look pretty young in this in this video. Yeah. <laughs> Can you believe it? Can you, you, believe you look it? the same. You look the same. Come on, Jeff. It's yeah. Ted. It's being number. I don't even know how many years before I go. Uh, when the hive splits to form a new one, a break on the brood cycle happens because the new cluster of bees, only adult bees, need some time to find a home, food, build a new comb before the new queen to be able to lay eggs again and produce new brood. An event that takes more than 72 hours. Consequently, tropical labs will die. Another event that forces bees to get break in a brood cycle is cold weathers. Honeybee behaves differently in strong winters. They evolve to live longer than normal, 
they keep themselves clustered to keep themselves warm. Also, the queen stops to lay eggs to save resources, which cause the break in the brood cycle. Remember, no brood means no food, that means death to Tropilae labs. Now let's talk about the problem and probably why I'm doing this video. Okay. Okay, so the, 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 the problem with that one is that what we know is that, yes, if we get a break in the brood cycle, we thought death to the mites. But yeah. as I just talked about, there's at least three explanations that might explain, in fact, that they're doing other things to get around this break in the brood cycle. They're, they're diapausing, they're feeding on alternate host, or maybe that there's really not a break in brood cycle. One other thing, and, and because I know it, but it, it's it's relevant. You did a really nice job there talking about a swarm. Swarm moves and they need to build comb and start. So that should be a nice break when they swarm. Yeah. In one of the papers I published on control, we used what we call a cultural control technique. We made a split out of a parent hive, made a split, a new colony, and the parent hive and the split both had lower levels of mites and had we not split the colony at all. And we know that from Varroa as well. So that kind of break, it was not a total break, but a break in the cycle by making a, a split helps in lowering triple The only other thing about that whole scenario is we believe that this might evolved on the giant honeybee which builds a big single comb. And, but the, the other thing this mite does, I mean the mite, the bee does, the giant honeybee, is they migrate. So somehow, if they migrate from the highlands to let's say the lowlands in Vietnam, they're on the cliffside and they fly off as a group of adult bees. How does the mite go with them? And, and we actually don't know that. Like how does the mite move and then get to the other, other site or whatever? I mean, there's a lot that we don't know. So swarming certainly breaks the brood cycle. We showed it with uh, making a split. It helps. But this question of what the, what are they doing with or without brood in a colony is still the big open question. Yeah. That's a quite but, interesting to know more about the giant bees and how the giant bees deal with them. That's something that that be good to good to do again, Jeff. So let's do that, it. That's some good Actually, well, here's here's my first, and I'm I'm giving away all my secrets because I don't really care. I don't. I, we we nobody's watching, Jeff. No, no, <laughs> no. Here's the first thing I would do. I would go to when these things migrate from, uh, let's say, cliff sides or whatever. They 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 all leave the nest, and it's not like they it's like swarming where half get left behind. When yep. they migrate, they leave, and you get these comb, big combs sitting there. They probably have a little bit of brood. They should have some mites in them. Go yep. there and find out. Do they stay? Are they feeding on the last bit of brood that's under the capsule? What's happening there? Or then do they leave that? Uh, yeah, so there's some things we could do with giant honeybees. And also, this is my travel bug. In okay. Southeast Vietnam, they put up, they call rafters. They're these poles, and the dorsata come and land on the poles. Uh -huh. And they build, start building a new comb. So if you went and looked at those rafters as they're newly established when when do we start seeing triple a left do the do the swarms that move in we just sample some of those bees coming in maybe there's mites on the bees coming in there, there's a grant right there i mean looking at yeah. raft beekeeping in vietnam it's wow. it, it's not easy work but it, it 
some of that needs to be done. Anyway, sorry, we're getting side. No, no, that's good. No, that's good. It's a good idea. I can't write. I, I, I'm, I'm missing going to the field, Jeff. So right. thank you. We let's try to work some. Yeah, let's 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 get on it. Yeah, all right. <laughs> okay, let's go back here. All right, and this whole channel. Let's take a look where tropical labs are found today. Afghanistan, India, Indonesia, Kenya, Laos, Malaysia, Myanmar, Nepal, Pakistan, Philippines, Papua New Guinea, Sri Lanka, Thailand, Vietnam, China, South Korea. Can you see the problem here? Recently, tropical labs were found in cold areas. Jeff? Can, you back, can you back up to the map? Yeah. This is, it's really, so just really quickly, this is all hearsay, but we probably will have some publications coming out soon. First of all, that, that thing in Kenya is probably a mistake. Okay. Because it's, okay. Never, it's never spread. It's never shown up. We don't have beekeepers complaining in, in Kenya about trouble left. It would have shown itself if it had really been introduced. But we're getting reports from Iran and Kazakhstan, which border, you can see they border on areas like yes. China yes. And, and Afghanistan, Pakistan, where the mite is already known. So these reports from Iran and Kazakhstan and other places in Russia could be real. It could be spreading further to the West. And that's that's bad news because yep. they're getting closer and closer and yep. getting more where the root of bees transportation starts to be more it's, active. We move a lot more bees around the other part of Europe and, and the Americas for sure. Yeah, and that's when the, well, like people like to say, when the shit hit the fan. I wonder if you were going to use that. What <laughs> came to my mind? It's when the when the yeah when trade becomes so fast and yeah that something hits the fan. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Yeah. Well. Yeah. All right. Let's see. Yeah. Recently, tropical labs were found in cold areas in China and South Korea, meaning that tropical labs is showing some sign of adaptation and perhaps overcoming its inability to feed on adult bees or some other kind of cold tolerance. We don't know for... Jeff, just to... I, I, I took this picture, but and when I show people, they can almost swear to God that this is a vampire attack attacking the neck of the bees. So we need to make sure they're not confused. They're just holding there. They're not feeding on these adult bees, right? So I think there's been at least three different experiments where... You take, let's say, 30 or 100 adult bees and you put 10, 20 mites in there and you put them in a cage over a sticky board. The mites just start dropping out right away and, and dying over a three to five day period or something like that. So we have no evidence, even the soft tissue, like this is a newly emerged bee here, that they can feed. They just, their mouth parts aren't, probably are not adapted to piercing the, the you know, an adult bee integument. That, that's what we believe. And I... There's no evidence to suggest that they're feeding on adult bees. So, yeah. Good. Yeah, and there is no, new evidence now, too, uh, from Dr. Oliver Hell. <laughs> I just recorded a podcast with him. He showed that proteins that are getting are very different from from the proteins that are from adult bees compared with proteins that come from a pupae and larvae. Yeah. So it's quite interesting work. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I think it's totally... I, I did read that paper real briefly, and yeah, he clearly shows that they can feed multiple times on the developing larvae and pupae, but yeah, there's no evidence that they can feed on adult bees. Yeah. All right. So far, I feel good. 
good. Yeah. It's for sure what's going on. But the fact is they are moving and we can't ignore that. The best way to avoid problems is to be prepared for the arrival in case it happens around you. So please help me to share this video with fellow beekeepers around the world so they can easily identify them and report to local authorities. For more information about this mic, please visit the video description below where I will share some links to articles about this pest. If you want to know more about... Okay, so I think we cover everything. So I, I, can I do a quick follow-up on... Uh, please. Yes, we need more information. So yes. I'm continuing to do some work. I've got a grant from the European Union and a little bit of money from Project APCM to do work on control and, and some detection techniques. So that's myself. Um, Auburn University is, has an active program. Some of that's funded by APHIS. Again, like I was funded by APHIS uh, to do some work on control and probably detection techniques. And then the other one that I know of that's doing good work is out of the UK. It's the anyway, the United Kingdom. They there's a lab that's done some work, and they're about to publish on a new whole hive detection technique, which will be better than the bump method. So that that look for that coming out. And then we all know about uh, I Sammy. I just call him Sammy because that's how I knew him. Sammy's you know Sammy's solving all the world's problems. But um, and I don't even I'm not sure what Sammy's working on. But I know that there are a number of us that are working on coconut apps. And there's probably others in, I know there's others in Asia and other parts of the world. So it is getting attention and it's getting, it needs even more attention. We need to, like, we don't understand the basic biology of how it lives with the giant honeybees. Um, and then it's crossed over. It's causing major problems for Apis mellifera um, in, in Asia and, and will, will cause problems if it moves around the globe. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I think they call this job security, right, Jeff? <laughs> I, don't, I don't need job security anymore. Uh, yeah, I, me too. I like to work on things that I find interesting and fun, and certainly Tropile Labs is one because uh, there's another quick, because we've already talked about giant honeybees, and everybody knows the bee we use, which is Apis mellifera, the, the European honeybee. There's a real interesting fact, and I don't know why no one's already shown this. Apis serrana the Asian honeybee that builds multiple cones, Apis serrana is very similar to Apis mellifera. Well, we finally figured out, this was a group out of Peter Neumann's lab, uh, Page was his name. He figured out why Apis serrana is not bothered by Varroa. It was very simple. So Varroa goes into the cell to feed normally on drone brood and, you know, whatever. And even in our bees, it, it likes drone brood. When it, but now it can go into worker brood and cause damage. When Varroa goes into the cell of Apis serrana, worker brood, the brood commits suicide. The bee, yeah. The, it dies. So I forgot he gave it a good name. Something, something suicidal. The uh, aptosis. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Apoptosis. Suicidal aptosis in, in Apis serrana. So Apis serrana, the brood, the worker brood dies if it's fed upon by Varroa. I have to suspect that the same thing's going on with Laps, but no one's ever even shown it. There, there's a there's a quick and dirty experiment you could do because all he did was he artificially infested the cell and then looked at the contents later and they were they were deformed, they were dying. So the same and I say that because in Asia, if you keep Apis serrana, you don't really have much tropolaps problem. We need, we were looking for tropolaps and apis serrana. They're hard to find. They're there. They 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 do infest Apis serrana. But it's Apis mellifera 
and it's probably this suicidal behavior. This suicidal behavior. I, I, I heard that there is some group here in the U.S. that start to detect a little bit of the behavior in apes mellifera here, and they try to breed to speed the, speed the things up here. I can't remember from where now, but I heard that's going on. I hadn't heard that. Yeah, but well, no, I mean, you would think that because it, it is very effective. I mean, it's yeah, yeah, you know, that would be the best, well, I guess. No yeah. chemicals, no chemicals at all. That good. So this um, capping, recapping behavior that tends to give Apis mellifera some resistance against Varroa. Uh, we don't totally understand it, but it's it's part of the development of natural resistance in our bees. And uh, and and they do. They're 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 getting better at fighting off Varroa. They're not there yet. But since, since you touched this subject, Jeff, <laughs> where we are with that? Because I was, I'm more, I start to believe that we need to go to that direction more than anything else, and, and let the bees take care of that, and then we're gonna be happy again. <laughs> the bees gonna be a little different, that for sure. We're gonna need to adapt. Well, uh, but so I can tell you, it 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 can happen. The problem is you're going to lose a lot of bees in the process. I'm sure. Yeah, I that's, know. No, that that's that is the problem. <clears throat> I I was lucky enough to work with a <clears throat> excuse me a population of Apis mellifera mellifera dark bees in in France. They don't get treated. They don't feed them. They don't do anything. They live, and they tend to keep smaller colonies, but they tend to survive. They swarm more often, and they survive. So those colonies survive um no they're probably not as productive for honey and stuff like that but they do survive so it is possible bees can survive varroa without treatment and they they're probably using a whole bunch of mechanisms yeah but, you, know, you know the problem we have as scientists we have to publish papers and so do we do? don't, don't make me start <laughs> we're, look, we're only looking one factor at a time we go i'm going to look at uh, varroa sensitive hygiene. I'm going to look at grooming behavior. This is the yeah. Purdue group. I'm going to look at you know, how they're biting the mites. It's, it's got to be that they're biting the mites. It's got to be that they were suppressing the reproduction. It's got to be something else. I mean, we all look at it yeah. for a single factor, and it's really multiple factors. The bees are using multiple ways of getting around varroa, and, and that would make sense. And I know it happens because when I, you know, when I visit Dad in Brazil. The whole yeah. community there don't even know Varroa's <laughs> is there. They don't treat, they don't care, the bees are fine. Uh, there is few studies, I would say. Uh, maybe I should go there first, because I have access to see what's Fala, going on. Fala Portuguese. Fala Portuguese um pouquinho. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, no, so they, um, yeah, the, the, the bees, the hybrid bees in, in, in Brazil, they don't need treatment. They, they survive Varroa. And it's, yeah. but they're not, but they're not doing one thing. They're not all just ripping the Varroa's legs off. They're doing a multitude. Of it's a lot of things going on with them. Yeah. 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 The, the propolis production involved. There is a lot of things. Yeah. yeah. The amount of swarms, they swarm much yep. more, which is yeah. going to be a little problem for the beekeepers here, but it, it is it's doable. Wait a minute, though, but Umberto, if we're losing, if we lose 30 to 40% a year and we have to keep restocking, uh, why don't we work with a slightly smaller group of bees that swarm more often and we just restock them? Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, to just it, put some baits, they come back. Exactly. In in Africa, they just put out bait hives and they just, they work with what they catch and they, you know, but in other parts of the world as well. But 
No, the problem with that is, and I, I this is my USDA hat. We're keeping bees in North America, honeybees in North America for pollination, and we have okay. to have we have to guarantee that they'll be there for pollination. That's our, our justification for keeping them in North America. So, and there has to be a balance. Yeah. Anyway. Well, that's cool. Jeff, I don't know how much time you have because I can keep going forever, man. I think we've covered, again, with propylalaps, it's how are they, are they really getting through the winter? Are they using alternate host? Are they, is it brood ring going on? And some of those questions are, are will be answered hopefully in the next few years uh, and we can be prepared. But now I'm, I'm, I've got a little more time if you want to. Oh, you mentioned some potential treatment. You, you you published some a paper I think in the past mentioned that you you have tried a couple of things against tropular labs things that we normally use here and I was wondering if you could share some of those uh, experiments yeah. with us. Well, just um, we did just a colony level experiment on controlling and again we were building on work of others. We knew that formic acid worked or had worked in the past. Liquid formic acid. So we tried um, the slow release product from Nod Apiary. You know, they're going to send me a royalty check, but no, we <laughs> um, we tried the slow release. Um, I think it was Formic. It wasn't Formic Pro. It was uh, Mitoweight Quick Strips. So we tried Mitoweight Quick Strips. We we tried sulfur, which was something the beekeepers there in, in uh, Thailand were using. The problem with that is it would never get approved in the U.S. because of Food contamination, yeah. um, and then we used Amitraz apis, apivar, apivar strips in the colony, and then some untreated controls. The formic worked well. The sulfur worked, but it hurt the bees a lot. We it, it was too strong for the bees the way we applied it. And then the other interesting one was the Amitraz did not seem to work, but that was because we put it in as a contact, and the bees walked over and picked up the material. <clears throat> but as we already talked about. The mites aren't on the bees. The mites yep. are all, never on the bees. So um, they're on the comb and they're in the comb and in, in the brood cells. So we've the way we applied Amitraz, it didn't work. But as I understand it, people are fumigating with Amitraz in certain parts of Asia and it's probably working. So some of the things we have, the tools that we have to control Varroa will probably work on tropolalaps. And the one I'd like to see more testing, which is what I, I hope to do, and I'm not sure about Auburn, but um, is oxalic acid. Oxalic acid probably is very effective. I don't see many, much published on it yet, and I hope that we can find out how how effective is oxalic acid against furrow as well. I mean, against trobilates. Sorry, trobilates. Yeah. All right, Jeff. I'm gonna open the floor a little bit to see if somebody has some questions. If anybody at home wants to get, you know, have the courage and want to ask Jeff something, uh, that's the time. Uh, Marguerite, Marguerite is saying, Jeff, that she is glad to hear that uh, there are multiple, fa that you're saying that there is multiple factors. So we need to be looking that as a multiple level angles instead of just one or another or another. For, you mean for, for Varroa, yeah. I oh. think for any kind of, any, any yeah. problem maybe, yeah. 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 right? Yeah, yeah it's, true. it's true. We tend to get focused and yeah, and then we get. You know, like this is the only way to do it. Same with just the general beekeeping. There's a lot of different ways to keep bees, and uh, and we tend to badmouth the people who keep bees differently from ourselves, which is which is not exactly fair. Yeah. 
All right. People seem to be shy today, Jeff. Um, and that being said, I think you're going to wrap this. I want to thank you for your time. Thank you for your great work. And I want to see you here to talk about Apimondia in the future. Uh, we will talk about Apimondia. We'll come to Copenhagen in 2025. We'll, uh, we'll have a great meeting. And in the meantime, we should show up and look at Hornets and Topolet apps in Asia. So I, I want to invite you to Asia, Korea, Vietnam, and we'll we'll solve some of these problems. Let's do that. let's do some work again, Jeff. That's fun, and I have I always learn a lot from you. And I want to thank you again for your work and your time, and keep doing the good work. Thank you, Alberto. Mm -hmm.